Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome to our second edition of Fifth Friday Fable Fest. Whoop whoop! So since there are five Fridays in the month of May this year, we're gonna we have another excuse to dive into some more Aesop's fables since there are literally hundreds. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> These are some of my favorites to do. Besides probably the fairy tale character alignment. The Fable Fests are like my favorite episodes to do. Yeah, it's fun because they're like a good mix of like research, story, and then ridiculous discussion. Oh, yeah. The last Fifth Friday Fable Fest, our theme was wolves. And so we were trying to think of what would be a good theme for the next group of stories. I got the idea of looking at these Fables that we're going to be telling you today, actually from this comic book that my husband and I were reading together. We were reading the series together. Um, It's called Olympians, and it's by George O'Connor. And my people don't know this about my husband. He's really into Greek mythology. He's always found it super fascinating. (laughs) I I didn't know this about your husband, and I actually know your husband. (laughs) (laughs) And it was funny because when... When we were on our trip to Australia and he got to pick out the uh, museums that we were seeing in Melbourne and he picked out the Hellenic Museum because he wanted to go and look at all these like old Greek artifacts. And so when I told people, oh, yeah, he wanted to go to this Greek museum because he's obsessed with like Greek mythology, people were like, that's a joke, right? Because, like, you're the one that's into You're mythology. the one that did it, yeah. Yeah, you forced this man into doing this. I was like, no, like, he picked it. And while we were there, the uh, they were selling this comic book series inside of, like, their gift shop. And we're really, really cheap. <laughs> and we had already spent a ton of money on a trip to Australia. And so we looked to see if our library system had it. And our library system had it. And so... We were going through all of the Olympians and he got super excited because he was always like two or three issues ahead of me. And so when he read the Hermes one, he was like, oh, I'm so excited for you to read it. I'm so excited. When are you going to read it? When have you gotten there? How far in are you when I like started reading it? Because George O'Connor had been really clever about disguising Hermes within the story so that you would get more of a surprise ending Uh with like the way that he wrote it and the way that he wrote it was having Aesop inside of the story. Uh. So if you are going to go and read the comic books, I might have just spoiled that ending for you. So I do apologize, but check out Olympians. Actually, it's amazing. I really like it. I want to look into it. Yeah. So inside of the story, he kind of the George O'Connor explained that what the reason why he had arranged the story the way that he did was because Hermes in the mythologies is a storyteller. He's a person who's known for his storytelling 
And he shows up in the story of Zeus and Io. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm going to tell that story really quick because it actually will kind of feature into some of the fables that we're going to be talking about. So Zeus was having an affair with Io. Should be no surprise, I think, to anybody. And Hera was legitimately upset about this for (laughs) real and valid reasons. I always hate when people say like, Hera was a very jealous goddess. And I'm like, no, no, no. Her husband Uh, was just cheating on her all the time. Yeah, she was an individual who doesn't like being betrayed, lied to. Unlike all of us who do love those things. Yeah. (laughs) Because when people are like, oh, that woman was a jealous woman. But what they mean is like, she didn't want her husband cheating on her and lying to her. And How dare she have the gall? To be upset. Like, oh, he broke trust that we had in our relationship. How dare he? Anyway, so Hera was upset. And this, I will fault Hera in some ways. Because she always attacks the wrong person. She always attacks the woman. Right. Tale as old as time. Yeah, which I'm like, she doesn't have any proper recourse to punish Zeus, Zeus. because he's uh, a, like the strongest god. Yeah. So when you can't take out your anger on the right person, sometimes you take out your anger on the wrong person. So Zeus was having an affair with Io, as he is always want to do. But his wife, who was very intelligent and was always catching him because he's a very bad liar. She was trying to catch him and Zeus kind of heard her coming and was like, oh no, how will I hide this woman that I'm having an affair with? And while, you know, mere mortals might just shove her underneath the bed or into like a cupboard. (laughs) Yeah, he couldn't have like stuck her on a lightning bolt and like thrown her to earth or anything. (laughs) What he decided to do is he turned her into a cow (laughs) <laughs> no one's gonna be suspicious why you have a cow in your bed chamber <laughs> i don't know maybe they were having an affair outside i don't know that's true in I a pasture I, somewhere in a pasture somewhere maybe it made sense in context um so he turned her into a cow and his wife was like what are you doing with that cow and so in some versions of the story he gifts her the he's like oh this cow is a present for you and in other versions of the story, she's like, oh, thank you so much for finding this beautiful cow. It's going to be mine now. Because she knew that he was a liar. Right. And that he was not, like, she knew it was a woman in a cow's body. She's not an idiot. Hera is a very intelligent woman. Unfortunately, she happens to be married to the worst possible man. So Also a tale as old as time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe. Maybe not. So... She takes the cow, Io, and she's like, I have a special place where I am going to put this cow. (laughs) I'm sure she does. Yeah. So she went to like her garden. That was hers. And then she got Argos, A-R-G-O-S. I spell it out for people who uh, know that I have terrible pronunciation always. (laughs) And are like, did she say that right? Like, probably not. So Argos who was a man that had 100 eyes. Oh. Yes, 100 eyeballs. Um, So many questions, but we'll pass over that for now. Yep. 
<laughs> and so he was the greatest watchman to watch over Io and keep her safe. <laughs> Are you laughing because he's a watchman? <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, it's like the greatest watchman because he has like a hundred eyes. Like, I get it. Yeah, so even when he, they, legend said that even when he was asleep, he always had about 50 eyes that remained open. Right. And so no matter what, he was always able to keep guard over these cows. So Zeus, who wanted his cow back because it was a sexy woman, <laughs> uh, he sent Hermes down because Hermes was known as a great trickster and a great storyteller. So Hermes went down and like in disguise and just kind of was like, Oh, Argos, like, how are you? Let me be at like your house. Let me tell you some stories. So he started telling Argos all these like stories, long winding tales until Argos started to get a little tired of hearing this guy, but he was enjoying the stories. Right. He didn't want him to stop, but he started to get really tired. So Hermes pulled out uh, a musical instrument, not the lyre. I can't remember what he pulled out. A lute? Something. Because he invented the... Hermes invented the lyre, but he gave it to Apollo as a gift. Oh. For stealing something from Apollo. When he was one day old, Hermes is a <laughs> Hermes is a trickster. Always anyway, playing practical jokes. Yeah, I can't. But make it up for it. Yeah. So he he has a good sense of humor. So he pulled out some musical instrument and started playing, and pretty soon Argos's eyes, all of them, closed. <sighs> and when the last eyeball had closed, Hermes killed Argos. Oh gosh! I know. It's like that's not cool. You're supposed That's to be not fun. a funny joke. That's not a funny joke. <laughs> I don't get it. What's the punchline? <laughs> like murder is the punchline. So then he, Hermes, grabbed Io and as quick as a flash, he got that cow back to Zeus to do whatever I guess Zeus wanted to do to that cow. <laughs> so when Hera saw what had been done to one of her favorite beings... I don't know what Argos is. <laughs> she was so upset about it that she took the eyes off of him and she placed them onto her favorite bird, the peacock's tail. Oh. So that they would be... I know your face was like, ew, 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 ew. And then I was like, no, 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 symbolically. <laughs> <laughs> they're, the, they're the eyes on her peacock. I was totally and, prepared to be extremely grossed out. <laughs> but pleasantly and, surprised. Yeah. It made it all the more pleasant, the fact that I thought it was going somewhere completely disgusting and horrible. Yep. And so that's why on Hera's symbol of the peacock, you'll see all of the eyes of Argos on the peacock's tail. Nice. The end. And that information is pertinent. I seriously try not to... <laughs> <laughs> tell you like <laughs> tell a just random story that means tell nothing. random stories yeah anyway like, hey. now for something completely different yeah i'm like that's gonna be unrelated so in the comic book that i read what was really fascinating to me was that the guy uh george o'connor he had chosen to include aesop as a storyteller because aesop was a greek storyteller and these are greek mythological stories but what people might notice that 
is interesting is in a copy of Aesop's Fables, if you grab it, it's going to have the Roman names for the gods inside of the stories. And you might be like, wait, if Aesop is Greek and these stories were Greek, and also they keep, they make references back to uh, Greek mythology within them because the people who are listening to the stories knew what they were referencing, what they were making back reference to because Uh, they were Greek, Greek mythology, Greek people, Greek stories. So why are the names that we have now Roman names? Such a great question. I'm glad you asked. Yes, please tell me the answer. So the oldest surviving collection of Aesop's fables altogether comes from a Roman source from the first century CE. And so these stories have been around for several centuries yeah but the oldest surviving collection of these stories kind of written down and all gathered together were written down by a roman and so the names that he kept were roman names and so then when the stories were translated into english they i think it was like they'd gone from Greek to Latin to German to English. I think that was yeah how how the how the translation they all got. went yeah. And so since they had been written in Latin, and that included the Roman names, the Germans kept the Roman names when they translated, and then German to English, or when it was translated to English, it was translated from German to English, and so they kept the names. And so in Aesop's fables, a Greek man named Aesop is credited with the stories, but all of the Roman gods' names are Roman. <laughs> like <laughs> and all just the like gods. out of tradition, we've kept it that way, even though we know better? Yeah, that I guess it doesn't bother anybody nearly enough that they're like, no, this has to stop. Put them back to the way that they were quote unquote originally. Man, we're gonna we're gonna put out a fairy tellers edition of Aesop's fables <laughs> and we're gonna do that. And the and only <laughs> the only difference is, is the names <laughs> are changed. So we decided that what we're going to do is that we're going to retell some of these lesser known fables that include the gods in them. Let's do it. Let's do it. So Jeff is going to start us off with a tale about Mercury, who that is the Roman name for the Greek god Hermes, the storytelling god. So I was surprised when you sent me this story because I'd heard it before, but I didn't realize it was an Aesop fable because it didn't have talking animals and stuff in it. But so people may have heard it and they may not even know it's an Aesop fable. It's called Mercury and the Woodman. So it starts off, there's a, a, a man, he's chopping down a tree, he's got his trusty axe, and he's just like chopping away at this tree, and the next thing you know, he pulls back to give a, a big old whack on that tree, and it just slips out of his hands and flies into the river, drops in the water, and sinks to the bottom. And he's like, oh my gosh, he's so distressed, probably because, you know, it's like he's gotten attached to it, you know, this is his profession. He's maybe potentially losing his livelihood or at least a kind of setback to that. So he's just sitting on the bank of the river and he's just like so upset. It says he grieved bitterly at the loss (laughs) of his axe, which I was like, man, 
you really must have had some feelings for that thing. When out of nowhere, Freddie Mercury rose up. No, wait, Freddie, no, just Mercury. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when out of nowhere, Mercury appeared. Mama, asked, <laughs> just, just lost, lost my ex. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. That's awesome. <laughs> so Mercury appeared and asked him, what's the matter? So the man tells him his story and Mercury, being a nice guy, dives down into the bottom of the river and he brings up a golden axe and he offers it to him. And the woodman's like, wait, hold up. That's not mine. And Mercury's like, are you sure you don't want it? And he's like, no, 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 that's that's not my axe. And so Mercury's like, all right. Dives back in, comes up this time with a silver axe. And he's like, here you go. And the dude's like, no, that that's still not my axe. Mine's just kind of like a regular axe. It's not gold <laughs> or silver or any he's of that like- stuff. It's just... And he's like wood, wood handle, just a hard metal. <laughs> just your average old axe. Like, I don't know. How am I the, not the first person to have lost their axe in this way? <laughs> anyway, so Mercury's like, all right. So he jumps back down again and he brings up this time. Of course, because it's the third time. The woodman's axe <laughs> that he had lost. And he was just so happy. He was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. This is my axe. Thank you so much for bringing it back to me. And Mercury's like, you know what? Because you have been so truthful. I was testing you. You passed. Not only do you get your own beloved axe back, but here you can have the gold axe and the silver axe as a reward for your honesty. And so the guy's like, oh, sweet. So he goes off and he tells his friends this story. And another guy is like, Oh, yeah? I'm seeing an opportunity here. Trading in my old crappy axe for a golden axe, and I can buy all the axes that I want. (laughs) So he goes to that same spot in the river, starts hacking away, and on purpose is like, whoop, throws his axe into the river, plop, it sinks down to the bottom. And so he goes to the the riverbank and starts, you know, crying and lamenting. Oh, my axe. I've lost my axe. If only someone could help me get my axe out of the river. So Mercury appears again, asks the guy, what's the matter? He's like, oh, I lost my axe in the river. And so Mercury dives down inside, brings up the golden axe. And the guy's like, yes, yes, that's my axe. Thank you so much for bringing it to me. And Mercury is like, come on, man. Do you really think you were going to pull that one over on me? It's like, I can see what is in your heart. I'm not giving you this axe. And you know what? I'm not even going to go down there and get the axe that you threw in there. You get what you deserved. And the moral of the story is that dishonesty overreaches itself. Don't try to play the master trickster. (laughs) Mercury. You can't play a player. Nope. (laughs) Uh, What I think is so interesting about that story is how much it mirrors some of the, like, the good daughter, bad daughter tale types that we've looked at. Where, like, you have the story of, like, Mother Holly, where, like, that girl comes back, like, covered in gold. And the, like, bad stepmother is like, oh, I want my child covered in gold, quick. But because the person has, like, the wrong intentions, then they, like, get caught and figured out. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see how that story, again, like, it's presented itself in so many different ways. Yeah. And it's that same sort of, you know, thing. It's like, you know, being dishonest is not going to do you any favors. Like, you always get found out in the end. Yeah. and Or sto- right away, like in this story. <laughs> yeah. Stories that have that kind of pro-social message of, like, we 
we don't lie to each other. Dishonesty is something that people kind of want to do because they want to get ahead. Like they, they, they want good things to happen to them, even if they kind of have to like cheat their way, but kind of society wants to keep, like keep reinforcing this message that like, no, you shouldn't be dishonest. Like, even if you could get away with it, you shouldn't be. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause I, I've, a lot of TV shows I've watched have kind of had that as like the central theme. Like right now I'm watching the Americans. Have you heard of or seen that show? I have not. So it's basically about these Russian spies takes place in the eighties during the cold war. And they're like embedded in America. So they're like Russian, but they speak American. They speak American English, (laughs) American English. And you know, so they do all this secret spy stuff and like they're the main characters. And uh, so like just super deeply embedded spies, but there's this one, thing where it's like the FBI is going after all these people. And this one woman, she kind of like is works at the Russian embassy, but she gets taken in by this FBI guy to be a spy for him. But then she starts using him and all this stuff. And she's just talking about like, we're just destroying each other, like with all the lies and it's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And it's like totally true. Lying has tempting and, you know, often effective short term benefits, but in the long term is going to be so much more destructive And as a society, it's something that we need because like you can't accomplish anything if people don't believe each other. Like because the way that we get things done is by like communicating and talking to each other. If we can't take the fact that what someone is saying is true at face value and believe that it's true, like we cannot function as a society and make the trade-offs with one another that we need to in order for things to, to work and move in a collective manner where we don't just have to rely on our own selves for everything. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Tell the truth. Don't lie. And so it is interesting that like even these very old stories keep pointing at that, that it's like, yeah, like it was as true like 2000 years ago as it is today that like we do better when we can trust each other. Yeah. And it makes sense because, again, it is such an it's an easy temptation to fall into, but it really is such a destructive thing. Yeah. And so much destructive potential. Yeah. Well, especially like because like with this guy, he wanted a golden axe. He wanted a silver axe and he wanted his axe back. And he probably thought, you know, like it's not going to hurt Mercury to give me these things. But he thought that he had to lie to get them instead of what the other guy did, which was just. Be honest and good things happen to you. Yeah, and it was because he had a bad heart that he, like, wanted to lie and get ahead like that anyway, rather than just being like, oh, man, that's so good for you. I'm glad yeah. that happened to you. Yeah. Not, I want to do it, too. Yeah. He, anyway. Like, he wasn't he wasn't just happy for his friend. He was like, oh, I want to fall into a bit of good fortune myself. But, yeah, he wasn't getting... Like, the reason that the first guy got good prizes was because he was a good person. Yeah. And you can't fake being a good person all the time. Oh, that's actually a really good segue into a... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because this is... is, That's funny. Because this is a a story... Now I'm going to tell a story about somebody who did try to hide their inner selves, but it didn't work out for too long. I decided that I wanted to tell goddess stories from the fables 
<laughs> just get some woman representation happening in there. So this one is a story that's about uh, the goddess Venus is in this one. And oddly enough, this is actually a animal bride story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just not really. It's just like really short. Anyway, because it's a fable. So there was once a young man who was so fond of his cat that he would often declare that if she were a woman, he would marry her, <laughs> which that's a lot to unpack. We won't get into it. Oh, yeah. We might but get into it later, we but might let's get continue. Into it. <laughs> so Venus or Aphrodite, if you want her Greek name, Venus heard him kind of saying this out loud. And she was like, you know what? He's a good guy and he really does love his cat so much that I'm going to grant his wish by turning his cat into a beautiful young woman. <laughs> so the young man was absolutely delighted that his cat was now a woman and he quickly married this woman. On the night of their wedding, though, as they were climbing into bed, his bride saw a mouse scamper across the floor. <laughs> and she leapt out of bed to chase the mouse around <laughs> the room. And Venus saw this and realized that even though she had changed the outer form of the cat, she could not change who the cat was on the inside. And instead of having those two parts of the woman disagree with each other uh -huh. and cause misery. She, Venus changed the girl back into a cat. And it says the true nature, though hidden, will assert itself. That's hilarious. You want to hear something super hilarious about this? Yes. So my wife has said before she had a cat when she was like growing up and like through high school and she has told me before that she used to think back then, like, oh, if only this cat would be human. He's so sweet to me. He's the only one that understands me. I would want him to be my boyfriend if he were a human. <laughs> okay, so that's that's so interesting because I was just watching Superstore. Uh -huh. And uh, the main guy in it, Jonah, his brother was, like, teasing him and was like, oh, yeah, he had a dog that he loved, and he wanted to marry that dog. Oh, ha, ha. Like, he was messed up because he wanted to marry his dog. Yeah. But, like, I think as a child, like, that kind of, that makes sense because it is like, oh, you're my best friend. You're really sweet yeah. to me. I love you so much. Like, I want to, like, marry you. I think it would be probably, like, a dysfunctional behavior, if you were thinking that way, though, as an adult, like, <laughs> like this guy, yeah. I mean, I don't want to shame anybody, um, but yeah, like in this story where this guy is like old enough to marry somebody and he's like, oh, I want this woman to be a cat. But even more importantly, I think, is that it kind of gets to the point of the story in that like he wanted something that was not... This is not the point of the story. This is my point of the story. Yeah, this he, is your takeaway. He wanted something that was not real. Like, you're not going to have the same relationship with your cat if your cat is a human being. Because if your cat was a human being, they wouldn't act like a cat. You know, like, you were never going to have that fulfilling relationship that you thought because cats and human beings are, like, fundamentally different. Which is not the point of the story, but it does show up very well. It's like, you're... You're not going to be wanting your wife to be jumping out of bed and chasing after like bugs in the middle of the night or mice in the middle of the night or whatever's going on. I just had a thought. 
that this is a reference to a story. Ovid wrote a story about a sculptor who carved a woman out of ivory. And apparently, like, he never was interested in, like, any women before. But then when he carved that woman in the ivory, he fell in love with it. So on Aphrodite's festival day, he went to Aphrodite's temple and was like, oh, I wish that this woman would be my bride. And then he went home and he kissed his ivory statue and it, like, turned into a woman because Aphrodite, like, granted his wish. And so I think she's always doing that. She just wants people to be in love. Yeah. She's like, Oh, are you in love with that? Um, That's cool. Boom. Yeah. Personified. Yeah. So she, she seems like that's like, it's in character with like what she does. Cause it's like when echo got her heart broken by narcissist, Aphrodite made narcissist fall in love with himself so that he would die. Like, uh-huh. fall in love with his reflection so that, right. like, he would die. And so she kind of is always wanting when she's like, oh, you really love something. Like, I want to honor that you feel so much love by having that thing reciprocate your love. Yeah. And Only she could help us all from falling in love with narcissists. We'd be better off. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, what What I find so cool about this story, like, the kind of human truth that I think that it, like, that this cat story highlights is mm-hmm. that like you can only pretend to be a different person for so long. Yeah. That, like there are people who will like, after they get what they want, whether it's like marriage or whatever, like they'll switch on you yeah. or they'll just be like, Oh, now I can treat you like garbage because like I have you. Like, trapped, or I already got the thing that I want from you, and now, like, I don't care about you. I don't have you. to put up a front or whatever anymore. Yeah. Like, And so yeah. there, there are things that are, like, they're, like, red flags that are, like, oh, you're kind of showing who you are in this moment, and I need to pay attention because later when, you know, it turns out, oh, yeah, you were always going to be like chasing mice or you were always a cat on the inside. Cause yeah, it's like if he had walked in before like the wedding and seen this woman, like licking her hand and rubbing it on her face. <laughs> You'd be like, he, Oh wait. Yeah. Her like, just like following a ball of yarn around. He might've been like, uh Oh, maybe, maybe that's a red flag right there. Uh, and so like, I kind of think that it points to like, people can only hide their true nature for so long. One hundo P. Yeah. But I think like, it's cool that these stories, they show that they were aware of other stories that were happening at the time. Oh yeah. And it's stuff like this, that like comparative mythologists look at as like for evidence of like, Oh, if you're making references back to this, that means that already was circulating. That was already well known. So Yeah. Super fascinating. So the next story I'm going to be telling is called Jupiter and the Bee. So one day a bee decided they wanted to make a present for Jupiter. And they like buzzed up with this big pot of honey, which Jupiter was super psyched about because honey is delicious. So Jupiter was like, hey, this honey is the bomb. I love it. Anything you want, it's yours. 
And so the bee is like, you know what I would like more than anything else? I would like it so that my stings kill whoever it is that I sting. And Jupiter was like, I did not know that this bee was going to ask for something so horrible. But I already made a promise. So what am I going to do? So Jupiter found himself in a really tough place because he knew that this was like an extreme superpower for this tiny little insect to have. And he didn't want it to be unfairly used against mankind. And he was kind of annoyed. Like, you made me this great honey in good faith. I said I'd give you whatever you wanted. And you asked something so crazy of me. Like a spiteful little bee. Exactly. So he was, he was kind of annoyed at like the ill nature of the wish is what it said. So... Jupiter's like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Because I promised, I'm going to give you what you asked for. Your sting is going to be super powerful and it can kill people. But you got to be careful how you use it. Because wherever you put your stinger, you're going to leave it. It's going to rip your own guts out and you are going to die too. And the moral of that story is evil brings evil in return. AKA, as you put it, the nuclear option. Like, mutually assured destruction. Sure, you can have the power to destroy your enemy, but in the process, you're going to destroy yourself as well. Yeah. Which, how would that be relatable these days? (laughs) Aesop, he truly saw our time. Uh, (laughs) Because it is, like, when people know that their choice will hurt them also... They're a little more careful about how they use it. And it's interesting because, like, in the research that I did on voodoo, yeah, oddly voodoo is coming up right now. Uh On the research that I did about voodoo, some of the spells that cost the most, like, if you went to a voodoo priest or priestess and you asked them to do something like kill somebody, the price that they ask of you is very, very heavy, and yeah. it involves you having to do a lot of work, putting a lot of yourself into it. And when you ask, like, a voodoo priest or priestess why it comes with such a hefty amount of sacrifice on your end, is because they're like, when you are calling upon bad things to come to other people, bad things are going to happen to you. So the price has to be high so that you have to ask yourself, am I willing to actually go this far to hurt another person in this way? Yeah. Because that evil will balance out that like, if you have something that bad happen to somebody else's family, are you ready for something that bad to happen to you and your family? Yeah. And I love that. And that's actually, I've heard why a lot of, People who practice any kind of uh, magical religion. Yeah. There is usually that idea of if you are practicing what some people might call white magic or light magic. Uh-huh. It's you're, you're bringing in more light, which is going to add more light, which is going to make the world like a better place. As opposed to if you're going to only work in like the darker magic. Yeah, you're only going to bring Yeah, you have to be aware that yeah, that if you bring bad things into the world to hurt somebody else, you're also bringing bad things into the world that can hurt you. Yeah. And I like that idea of when you're practicing your religion, thinking about that. 
Because if you have like a religion that you think has like ultimate power to hurt other people, but you think you're untouchable, that's going to make you a very dangerous person. Yeah. But when you're always aware in your head that like, okay, this has to balance out because like, do I want to be the kind of person that hurts other people that brings that hurt on me? Or do I want to make the world a better place that then makes my world better? Yeah. And I like the idea too. It's like, you know, like evil begets evil and extrapolating, you know, like I really do think good things do beget good things as well. You know, like if you do something nice for somebody, they'll put, we'll put them in a good mood, which might make them more inclined to be nice to somebody else. And then that just spreads, you know, like the kind of pay it forward kind of idea, you know, and it's like, yeah, you can pay it forward in a bad way by bringing bad things into the world and making that person's life worse, which makes the people around them's lives worse, which, uh, you know, kind of like trickles out negatively in that way. It's like, or you can do it in the positive way and make everything better, but just by bringing a little bit of good in the world. Yeah. Cause it's like, if you knew that you could slap somebody, but you'd immediately get slapped back, you probably would take a second to think about it before you slap somebody. Yeah. Because you're like, of course, all of us wishes that, you know, we could get retribution against other people and then have nothing bad happen to us <laughs> like, uh-huh. in return. Or we're like, oh, the world is unfair. So I'm going to do something even like worse. Yeah. You want you want to imagine, oh, OK, I have unlimited power to like hurt other people. Hopefully you're not a person who wishes you had unlimited power to hurt other people. <laughs> and if you are. Please seek some professional help. <laughs> but yeah, like it's good to keep that in mind that like if if you hurt somebody else, you're going to hurt yourself. It is. It's interesting. Like part of me wants to know the backstory for that little bee. Like, why was it so eager? Because I'm like, if if his hive <laughs> yeah. had just been attacked or something. And yeah. so he's going to the gods to say like, hey, you've left me super vulnerable. And I wish... That I could protect my hive. Protect my hive. So yeah, like I wonder. I wonder the backstory for that little bee. But that's kind of funny. Like sometimes <laughs> on these episodes, we're always like, I want more information. Yeah, on we, don't, this we can't thing. judge this bee. We don't know what's going on. <laughs> Even though like Aesop is like, nope, this is the information you get. You'll have no other information. The bee is still. evil and yeah. will be punished accordingly. <laughs> I think there is so. Inbuilt into the bee is this system. They have the power to harm somebody, but it will harm them equally. Or actually, honestly, more. Because I've been stung by plenty of bees and I'm still kicking, but those bees are all dead. But it's kind of true as like humans as well. Like we have great power to cause harm, like emotional or physical or whatever to other people. But like you're not going to you're not going to get off of that completely scot-free. You know, like there will be negative repercussions to you as a person for doing that, whether it's just like your own guilt or whether it's like legal, you know, repercussions or yeah. things like that. So always remember that even though you with great power <laughs> comes, Oh, that's about a spider, not a bee, but you know, like <laughs> it is that though with great power comes great responsibility. And if you, you mm-hmm. have the power to do something bad, but just know that bad things will come back to you. If you start doing bad things to other people, like there are inbuilt negative consequences to taking negative actions. So now I'm going to tell a story that takes us back to a peacock. Yay. Yay. I don't tell pointless stories. (laughs) Um, So this story is called The Peacock's Complaint. So 
One day there was a peacock and he went to Juno. And that is the Roman name for Hera. So we're back to Hera, Hera and a peacock. So he goes back to Juno and he's complaining to her because he's saying, oh, the nightingale that I was listening to the other day, it has a beautiful voice and I was trying to sing to it and it started making fun of me and the other animals were laughing at my bad singing voice and I don't know why you gave a beautiful singing voice to a bird like the nightingale, but you won't give one to me. And Juno was like, you envious little bird. <laughs> I already gave you all of my favorite guy's eyes. Yeah. She's like, you have absolutely no room to complain because you have the colors of the rainbow that shine on your neck and your tail gleams with a mass of gems. Uh, which I'm like, you mean eyeballs? Um, <laughs> gross. So your tail gleams like gemstones and yet you're here complaining about your lot in life that you don't have like a beautiful voice and she was like no to each bird is given one good quality the falcon was given swiftness the eagle was given strength the parrot speech and the nightingale i gave a melodious note but to you i gave two gifts the gift of size and of beauty because a peacock is so big that like... Yeah. Yeah. So size and beauty. Stop complaining or all of your gifts will be taken away from you. Oh, snap. Yeah. Which I'm like, way to go, girl. And it says <laughs> con contentment should be the source of every joy. But I thought a better one is the comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. Because we've... Like, like when you're looking at the things that you don't have in someone else, you're not thinking of the things that you have that are great that they may not have yeah because it's like the peacock who is the most favorite of all the birds like to juno and has this like special place to her uh -huh. is like oh i wish i had a beautiful singing voice and she's like um no like i'm not gonna give you everything because it's like and i've noticed this with people which is what these stories are really about yeah that, like even if that bird, even if that bird was given a beautiful singing voice too, then pretty soon it'd be like, why is my tail so heavy? I can't fly as high as blah, 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 because yeah. my tail's heavy. And it's like, no matter what, there's always going to be something that you do not have. Right. And so it's like contentment should be the source of all your joy. You should be happy with what you have. Yeah. Like, look for joy in what you already have, which I think is actually like really timely for right now, because right now it's kind of like whatever you currently have in your home or in your life. Yeah. That's what you've got. That's what you've got. That's what you're working with. <laughs> and so like, if you're thinking to yourself like, Oh, I really wish I was on a beach right now, but you live in the middle of like a city. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself. Don't torture yourself. Be like, what do I have right now that is worth being grateful for? What do yeah. I have right now that brings me contentment? That's something I've definitely found like in my life is I think I've got like a pretty, I think, again, I was very um, fortunate in that this is kind of my disposition is to be thankful for what I have. But it's like, 
it, it's it's come easy to me, which is something I can be even more thankful about. But during this time, that's what I've thought about. I was like, yeah, like things are stressful. Like I can't go to work. I can't do these things. But it's like I've had the opportunity to spend all day, every day with my kids and my wife. And like we've had so many really great memories that we've built. And it's just made this whole thing like so much easier. It hasn't – it's been stressful and hard, but like it only feels – as stressful and as hard when I'm focusing on the, you know, things that I'm missing or the things that I'm, I'm thinking that I might be losing rather than focusing on the things that I have, which is great. And I remember hearing about, I wish I knew what the study was, but I play the idiot on the podcast uh, <laughs> playing to type. So I don't feel like responsible for it, but there's just always talking about people who would get up every morning and do like a, a gratitude exercise so they would get up every morning and they had to write for like five or 10 minutes in like a little journal, all the things that they were grateful for that they had. And so they had like that group and a control group who didn't do that and just went about their lives. It was like the people that wrote in that gratitude journal every day for however many, however long it was in the experiment, like they're self-reported because it's the only way that you can measure it, like happiness index or whatever they wanted to call it was like just as a group, much greater than the other group because they were, again, focusing on the things that they had their contentment with the things that they had in their life were what was bringing them joy rather than, you know, the accomplishment of getting something that they wanted. Because if you're not going to appreciate the things that you have now, you're not going to appreciate the next thing that you get. Like you pointed out, it's like, you're just going to move on to something else. That's a never ending cycle, but focusing on what you have, you're always going to have what you have. Like, okay, you may lose something, but you still have something else that you can be thankful for once something is gone. Yeah. But you're never going to have everything that you want. There's always going to be something more. Yeah. That's like, that's an endless well, whereas the well of contentment is always full if you know how to look at it. Yeah. And five years ago, my husband, man, it's almost like six years ago now. My husband was in the hospital for like two months and he was in a lot of pain while he was in the hospital. And at first he was in the ICU for three weeks And so he was in his own room and it was a really good size room because it had to be able to like fit Mm -hmm. like medical equipment. But like for the room that it was like, it was a really nice room with lots of space and it was private. And so I could bring the, his kids in to see him and he could have visitors and there was a little more freedom for him, like in the ICU than, than later on. So he was like in this unit and he was miserable. And of course he was miserable. He had yeah. just had surgery. He was in no a lot of pain. No one would fault him for that. <laughs> yeah, like no one would fault him for that. Like he was really, really like upset and was feeling like miserable. And one night when he was like feeling really low and he was just like, I I hate it here. I hate everything about being here. I hate this so much. And I was like, I know. And it's, it is horrible. But you do have things that you can be grateful for. You have... Like you get to see your son every day is like coming in to visit you. You still get to play with him. You get still get to like throw a ball or read him stories or share your jello cup with him. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I'm, I'm able to come and be with you every day because like his mom came into town so she could watch our son so that I could have alone time with my husband and kind of devote time. And we were 
like having basically like date nights every night where we could like be playing games or watching shows together. Like there was stuff that, that he had in his life that I was like, you can be thankful for this. And he's like, but there's so much that like, that I, I don't have and I'm so miserable and I can't be thankful. And again, like I, I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't in his body. Like I, I don't know the pain that he felt or like, just how miserable day in and day out that was. But after he'd been in the ICU for three weeks, there was a rush on the emergency room one night where just a lot of people came in and they had to get him out of his room so that they could put somebody who was worse off into his room. And so with it happened in the middle of the night. There wasn't a whole lot of like discussion with his head doctors. They had to move him into a shared room with uh, a person who was quite difficult. Um, And since they moved him into the shared room and it was much, much smaller. And suddenly he went from having like this big room with tons of natural light in it to a really small room that he could only have one visitor at a time. And when that visitor was there, they had to listen to the guy who was next to him, who was not quite all there and had a lot of foul things to say all the time. Uh And so suddenly all these things that my husband had still been taking for granted because he had seen all this stuff that was gone. Yeah. Suddenly he lost all of those things. Yeah. And now he then he truly did like he had like nothing because it was I could only go and see him for like an hour or so a day and his son couldn't go in the room and he couldn't really sleep well at night because the person that, that he was sharing the room with was loud and angry and whatever. Luckily, he only was in that room with that guy for I think it was like 48 hours because my husband's doctors, the condition that he was in, he could not be sharing room with somebody else. There was too much risk for my husband. Yeah. And so he did end up getting moved into another room where he could have that stuff back. And he was so much more thankful for those like few life's pleasures. Yeah. And like, it really was like just a lesson on like, don't worry you can have less. <laughs> <laughs> it can get worse. It can get taken so away. So be thankful for what you have now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was like, just if you, the things that you cannot change, you need to just be like, okay, I cannot change this, but I can find contentment in the things that I do have. I can take pleasure and joy in the things that I just do have in my life still. Yeah. And, What's been interesting is during like quarantine, my husband's been like, oh, this has not been the worst two months of my life. (laughs) (laughs) No. Like he's not chopped open. He doesn't have to relearn how to walk. Uh, (laughs) He's like, he's not in any physical pain. He can, he can go all over this house and it's no problem for him. And he has all the stuff that like he could do. So it's funny because it is like to us, this perspective of being in lockdown right now and not being able to like go anywhere. It's really, it's not the worst two months that we've ever had. Yeah. And it's, I feel like for maybe a lot of people, this being in lockdown and not being able to go anywhere is like their version of, and I know it's kind of been this way for me, you know, like, 
your husband being in that room for those 48 hours where he's like, wow, things in my life could be much worse than they are. And they're thinking about the things that they used to be able to do. And when they go back to that, and when I go back to my normal life, whatever that may be, even though it's going to be changed and different, like I will appreciate the things that I have a lot more than if this never happened. Because it was a good reminder of the fact that I've got a lot of really great things going with me in my life that could be taken away. Yeah. At a moment's notice. Yeah. And that's another thing with like, when you're looking at like what somebody else has, even if you go the other way and you look at like, oh, somebody else has had it way, way worse than me. Like that also then makes you feel bad for feeling bad when I feel like, you know, like when it comes to like pain scales, they say like, yeah. you need you need to know what your 10 is. Yeah. Like what's the worst pain you have ever been in? And for some people like, you know, falling and breaking their leg, that's like the worst pain that they've been in. Mm-hmm. And some people it's like they had a baby and like that was like their worst pain. And for my husband, you know, get, being gutted, like, it's <laughs> like <laughs> and, and so like, you can't compare yourself like to somebody else's pain because like, if you're, if you're feeling the worst pain you've ever felt, but then you look at somebody else and you're like, oh, well, they obviously have been in worse pain. So I'm not allowed to talk about like my pain or like my suffering. Yeah. I think it's bad going that way too. Yeah, I totally agree. It doesn't invalidate the things that you're feeling just because someone else has had it worse. Like, yeah, it still sucks for you. Yeah. So like, I'm like, no, what I'm saying is I think it's legit that you're like, what's happening to me right now is like the same feeling that like your husband had of, and I'm here here to say that I agree with you. Well, I know, you know, and I wasn't. No, 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 no. But like, I wanted to make sure that you knew that I don't think like you kind of saying that is insensitive at all. I think like, if this is the like, kind of like the kind of worst situation and like the most stress that like you've been in, and like the most things that you've had taken away from you. Yeah. Then like, oh, that's legit to feel that way. Well, thank you. Yeah, I valid. I think it's completely valid what you're saying. <laughs> because I wasn't intending it for it to be. I'm not saying no, no, it was no, like no. on the same level. I'm just saying no, no, it's no, no, a, no. it's a. Yeah. Uh, it's an SAT question. This is to me as to that was to him, you know, like yes. lesser, the, the scales are completely different, but the, the, the drop, the, I don't know. No, but I'm saying, yeah. Comparatively similar. Yeah. And you're valuing for that. And I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I'm like this, me saying like, this isn't the worst two months of my life. You're, I'm saying you're completely allowed to say this is the worst two months of my life. I'm like, I believe you. I believe yeah, but- that this is a lot of people's worst two months of their life. I do too. And just to be like frank and open and honest with it, this is definitely not the two worst months of my life. Oh, that's, uh, that's it's actually been, good. It's been, I've been very fortunate. I've been like, again, I've had a lot of things that I can enjoy and I've been very thankful. It's been just a very fulfilling two months of my life, even though it's been hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I hope other people can feel the same way. And if you haven't been feeling that way, maybe hopefully this story can help you at least spur you to think about the things that you do have that you can be thankful for to take away a little bit of that misery. <laughs> Cause yeah. I, yeah. Cause kind of like what I said before, uh, that, that contentment should be the source of every joy being happy with what you have right now, hopefully can bring you joy. So yeah, hopefully people can kind of look around them and say, okay, what do I still have in my life? What are the gifts that I am being given by being alive? right now 
and just find joy in that and not think about all of the stuff that you can't go out and do. So Jeff, I wanted you to tell Mercury and the Traveler because I think it's it's super funny because it kind of shows that like Hermes, who's Mercury in the Roman, he allows for a certain amount of joking and lightheartedness. He's a fun god. <laughs> He's the cool god. He's the cool god. Okay. To be clear, Zeus is the worst god. <laughs> So, yes, Mercury and the Traveler. So there was a a man, and he was about to go on this long, long journey. So he prayed to Mercury, who, in addition to all these other things, was also one who was supposed to kind of give, like, safe and speedy travel to people who were taking journeys. Which makes sense, because he was, like, a super speedy traveling god. (laughs) Yeah. So he was the god of, of, you know, speedy travel because he was a really speedy, zippy god that was flying all over the place. So the man prayed... To Mercury for, you know, a good voyage and a safe, quick return. And he promised Mercury in this prayer that if Mercury would grant his request for a speedy and safe travel, that he would give the god Mercury half of everything that he might find on the road, on the journey that he was on. So not long after he got on his journey, he found this bag that had a bunch of dates and almonds inside of it. And, you know, some passerby had like lost off their cart or whatever. So this guy ate the dates and he ate the almonds but when he ate the dates he ate every part of the date except for the pit in the middle and when he ate the almonds he ate the whole almond but he kept the shell and so when he came across an altar to mercury he put them down and said here you go here's half of everything i've taken the insides of one and the outsides of the other and that makes up your half of the booty Which is pretty funny and pretty cheeky. And I think something that Mercury might have gotten a little chuckle at. So the moral at the bottom of this was a promise breaker is never at a loss for an excuse, which is also a pretty hilarious (laughs) moral. (laughs) That like people, people can always figure out a loophole or a workaround. Yeah. I love that. But I also like, I love that in that story, there isn't like, you know, Mercury coming down and being like, how dare you? Yeah, he didn't roast him with a lightning bolt or anything like Zeus would have done. Yeah, what a jerk. But instead, yeah, he just is, he probably was, you know, like it was fitting for his character because of course, like, like doesn't exist. So I can't be like, no, he probably did this. Like, no, (laughs) I can say with 100% certainty because I'm making up the story now. Like it was within his personality to just laugh and be like, that was clever. That was a good one. You got me You got me good there, buddy. You got me good. Yeah, we're talking about the guy that turned a woman into a cow to prevent uh, someone's wife from finding out that he was cheating on her. Oh, no, that was Zeus. Zeus turned in. Turned oh, yeah, she cow. turned her into a cow, but he was the one that got the thing back. Yeah, he, he yeah, he helped Zeus out. <laughs> he murdered a person to get the yeah, cow back he, from I'm like, how dare you? What a good friend. He told the guy a story, lulled him to sleep, and then murdered him. <laughs> While he was sleeping. But He's the guy's eyes got put person. on a peacock. I do love how so many of these things are like connecting to each other. Yeah, and it was because, like, well, what's interesting to me is, like, with all of the uh, Greek mythology that we read, it's usually sources that are like these poets that have written these like long, beautiful, like tales about mm-hmm. like 
epically long stories about the gods and their personalities and blah, blah, blah. But what the, like, fables show is that probably in, like, people's day-to-day lives, like, just their vernacular, like, when they were storytelling with each other, they could also, like, kind of just, like, throw in these little snippets of stories, like, about people or uh, joke about the gods and, and their capricious nature or whatever it happened to be like the God that they were talking about, whether they were talking about, I didn't even tell any about Minerva who's Athena, but you know, they'll be like, Oh, this really wise person once said, let's attribute it to Minerva. And so these stories show that like how people viewed the gods was more than how we kind of get the stories from the longer epics. Like the fables kind of show this less high and lofty and more of this just day-to-day nitty-gritty, like how people lived with these stories, what the actual lived experience with these characters viewed as gods like would have been seen. It's kind of like memes. Aesop was the original meme lord. (laughs) Yes, like... That's what I love that like fairy tales and folklore and stuff. They're, they're memes. They're that same kind of like what is understood really like rapidly and quickly, like by our brain then becomes like part of the joke, part of the reference because it's passing that cultural information really quickly because you're like, Oh, we all know who I'm talking about when I'm like, like, so the peacock went to Juno and people are like, yes, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. This this all checks out. Yeah. Or or they're like, and then Aphrodite, of course, turned this cat into it. And they're like, of course, of course. Yes, yes, yes. She's, she's doing that all the time. Yeah, they don't need like all the like the backstory to kind of understand the story as it's being told. And so then it's interesting because then when we hear it and if we don't have the backstory, we might be like, well, that's weird. <laughs> Why, why was it a peacock that was talking to her versus, like, another thing? And it's like, oh, no, there's a history here. There's a history. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer. If you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. And I was surprised by this one because I'd actually heard this story. It's called Mercury and the Woodsmen. I didn't, or... Woodmen? Woodmen. Oh, because there's two of them. Because it's like, what's plural? Wood or the men? It's woodmen. It was woodmen because there were just two men in one wood. Correct. But a woodsman would be one man in two woods or more. <laughs> <laughs> wait, where are we, what are we talking about? <laughs>